Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Macadamian, where we explore the intersection of technology and healthcare. We've worked with many innovative companies to design and develop digital products that improve people's health. And we want to share all that we can to help people build better products. So let's get to today's episode. So today we're delving into the intersection of technology and human habits. Uh, We'll be looking at how you can change your habits for the better. And on that note, we have two great guests on the show. We have Alexandra Al-Hadaf. She's the behavioral scientist and product manager at Fabulous, an app that helps you make healthy habits. And we also have Dr. Roxana Barbu. She's the cognitive behavior scientist here at Macadamian. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. So Alex, I'm going to start with you. Fabulous is an app. It helps people build the right habits in essentially for better health. Where did the idea for this app come from? The Fabulous concept came about in 2011 against the backdrop of the Tunisian revolution. Our CEO, Sami Ben Hassin, had founded an NGO to help rebuild the country together with a team of passionate individuals. They worked on several initiatives, including citizen journalism and election observation. And he experienced firsthand the effect of a small group working together towards a common goal. Goals, purpose, social good, these words were bouncing around in his brain, and he knew he couldn't go back to his corporate job. He was always interested in self-improvement, so he started a blog called The Fabulous Life, about how to become your best self. But he soon realized that long-form posts wouldn't be as impactful as he had hoped. And intuitively, he realized that information alone can't lead to transformation, which is how the fabulous app, a behaviorally informed uh, solution came to be. Right. That's an that's a interesting um, a journey in how fabulous, where it comes from. And Alex, you know, you and I were talking earlier about fabulous's impact on your life. Um, how did it, how did you first come about the app? It is a pretty interesting story. I had started a new job and wanted to reset my habits and routines. I hope to use that pivotal moment as a fresh start. And we know that people are more likely to take action towards goals after new beginnings. New Year's resolutions are a classic example of the fresh start effect. But there are many other inflection points in our lives that are conducive to big changes, like moving to a new town or starting a new job. So I researched digital tools that might help me and stumbled upon the fabulous. And I was struck by the whimsical graphics and the fact that it was incubated at the Duke University Center for Advanced Insight and was a behavioral science-based app. And fabulous changed my life. Those initial months at my new job marked the first time I developed consistent routines. I was eating a healthy breakfast every morning, working out, and riding more than I ever had. And several months later, I saw a job posting for a behavioral scientist slash product manager role, and now I work here. Oh, I love that. I love that journey. Um, So switching gears just a little bit, Roxana, why is self-discipline so hard to master? That's a really good question, because in its simplest form and at at its core, really, self-discipline, all it is, is making a decision and following through with it. So your question, why is it hard? Well, for one... Just desiring something is not enough. For example, someone may want to eat healthier and they may have all the motivation in the world and, you know, making the change, it's still not easy because of, well, life really. Um, We can have the intention, we can have the desire, but we also face realities and barriers. 
maybe the person has financial barriers. We can't just say all of a sudden, like all of us say, I'm going to switch from canola oil to avocado oil. That's like five times the price. Not everyone can make that switch easy. Um, maybe the person works 80 hours every week. That kind of schedule, then, you know, you have irregular meals. Oftentimes you just go to the store, to the restaurant, and more often than not, time-saving kind of trumps food quality, right? Or maybe you prioritize sleep over eating or cooking. Um, in my case, maybe the person lives with lots of other people who have, well, worse or equally bad health habits. That kind of constant exposure to bad food um, doesn't help you make the change. I don't know about you. When I see my little brother or my whole family with ice cream sandwiches, sometimes I say no, but not every time, right? So this list of barriers goes on and on. And aside from these barriers, um, as humans, we also fall victim to something called present bias. So what does that mean? It means we have a tendency to value immediate rewards um, over future ones. So if we think of our food example, after a really stressful day at work, someone's favorite pizza is enough to turn their frown upside down. And it's according to the present bias, it's just it's really hard for us to kind of forego that feeling good in the present for the hope of somewhat like some form of reward in a distant future. And then to make it even worse, there's this like myth that changing your habit takes 21 days. And that's so natural. It can take over 200 days. Any change is really difficult at the beginning. And it takes a while for that behavior to become automatic. So I don't know about you guys, but it took me a while to learn how to drive. And at the beginning, I was just laughing with my husband. At the beginning, it was like, because we're teaching a friend now, it's like, how many things? Like, think of your seatbelt. Think of, like, checking all your mirrors, adjusting everyone if you switch drivers, um, signaling. Even the whole, like, you know, putting your hand on the other person's chair to check your blind spot. Like so many things on your checklist. And now we were laughing. We're like, okay, so what do I think of now? Like 10 years later, do I have my wallet? Um, is there enough gas? Because I don't like going to put gas particularly now. And that's it, right? But it took a long time for all of those other things to become automatic. So the trick is to just have lots of patience. And that's where we need all the help we can get to embrace these new behaviors and repeat them enough until they become automatic. Yeah, no, I love your example of, of, of driving and learning how to drive, right? Because um, when you're learning how to drive, you are just thinking about every single thing. And now it's like second nature to us, for those of us who drive. Um, okay, so Roxana, how can apps like Fabulous, how can they help us change our habits? Well, I think... Apps can play a huge role in changing our habits, but we have to kind of pay attention because not all apps are created equally. So there are far too many on apps on the market for us to even make the right choices. And not all of these apps have what it takes to help us change our habits. So I think the first choice really is picking the right app. And um, it's hard, right? Like a buzzword in today's app space is gamification. 
And as a as a person using apps, like lots of these apps claim that they have they employ gamification techniques to help us out. However, the problem is many of them kind of treat it like a checklist. So they go about it, oh, do we have a reward? Yay, check mark. Do we have a reminder? Check mark. That's not enough, right? Like to be effective, these techniques, they have to be rooted in science. Otherwise, all of us would be the best versions of ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'm not. So there's like behavior science, cognitive science, neuroscience, psychology, and gamification techniques that is tricky because they have to be good used for good. Like there's lots of examples of gamification techniques used for bad. So just like rewards, for example, it's not about the reward. Um, it's about the anticipation. Like our brain leads to or releases dopamine, but it, and that's what makes us feel good. But it's not when we receive the reward, it's the anticipation of a reward. So then for the app to work, it's about how the reward is being used and the frequency and the intensity of it, not so much about having a reward per se. So they can change our habits, but you know, they have to be science informed and they have to be have our like people's best interest at score because otherwise we get into addictions. Yeah, okay, so let's get into that then. Alex, how does how does fabulous work? Right. So fabulous uses insights from behavioral science to help people achieve their personal and professional goals. We identify the behavioral barriers that get in the way of people achieving their goals and then design solutions to overcome them. And in many ways, Fabulous is a vehicle to bring behavioral solutions from the lab into the real world. That is to say that we look at behavioral findings in the literature and test them in app. Ultimately, our goal is to help people become behavior change experts and incorporate behavioral design into their own lives. Right. And so, Roxana, this next question is for you. Uh, you were saying um, earlier that apps can help, but not all apps. What are some of the key must-haves for an app to, to be successful in changing our habits? So I'm really happy you asked that because far too often people get kind of stuck on one must-have as a core. Um, they focus on usability, and that's great. Like Usability is a core feature of user experience, but when it comes to behavior change, then we're talking about other sciences. Like usability is not enough, enough, right? So here at Macadamia, we compiled this list of principles that go beyond usability. And they're kind of like a must-have that apps need to meet in order to lead to behavior, to meaningful behavior change. So one of them, um, and I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that it's necessary just by reading the news, really, is trust and credibility and transparency. So the person using the app, they should have a reason to trust that app. And that trust is kind of twofold. On one hand, like I'm always shocked by how much information apps are asking us. So I should trust that the app will protect the information I'm sharing because that's a lot of personal information that's being collected. So I want to know what, like, why are they collecting all of that information? What is, is it good for me? Um, like clear visibility in, in how they protect it and what they're going to do with it. But on the other hand, 
I also want to trust what the app is telling me. So if it's telling me this is the path for me to achieve better sleep or manage my medication or improve my symptoms, why do I trust it? What makes the app credible? So those are the kind of the two components that I think of within trust, credibility, and transparency. So Alex, can you walk us through maybe an example from Fabulous? Like how does it achieve this trust, credibility, and transparency or some of it? Sure. So on trust and transparency, all the data we collect is used to help people achieve their goals and improve the user experience. We don't share or sell any data with third parties. We, we also have committed to zero advertising forever. As for credibility, we were incubated at the Duke Center for Advanced Hindsight under Professor Dan Ariely's advisorship. We strive for a science-first approach. Our growth and product team was founded first and foremost as a team of behavioral experts. And I guess another principle, which is, it seems so common sense, but it's so underapplied in apps, is the need for individualization. Like we're all unique. We have different motivations, attitudes, um, starting points in our journey. And particularly if we talk about health apps, um, that we have to, people have different risk profiles and preferences. So apps should really account for unique needs and personality. Um, and in, in a world where AI and UX are becoming more and more integrated, there's no excuse really not to achieve that. And on top of that, we all know there's more than one path to achieve the exact same goal. So we should have choices. We're used to having choices. We expect choices now. We may even change our mind. Maybe if there's different goals related to diabetes, let's say sleep, physical activity, maybe I'm not ready to embrace physical activity. I try it for a few weeks and then I want to tackle sleep first because I don't have enough energy. So we should be able to also change our minds. And I know, I know Fabulous does a great job when it comes to taking into account um, differences, right? So want to tell us a bit about that? Of course. So on your last point, at Fabulous, though we give guidance and recommendations, we also allow for choice. So people can choose their own adventure once they're within the, the Fabulous uh, world, as it were. Um, it's really important that we meet people where they are, and we personalize both through the breadth of our content and by providing different means to goal attainment. On the breadth of content front, we have journeys, coaching, and challenges on mental fitness, healthy eating, smoking cessation, sustainability, writer's block, and everything in between. We also know that people have different preferences regarding their path towards goal attainment. And that's why we offer both solo immersive experiences in the form of rituals and solo challenges, as well as collective goal attainment through forums, which we call circles, as well as live team-based challenges. I'm glad you brought up the choices because on the next point, um, the next principle I want to bring up, which is human connection, um, this is so intuitive, right? Like we all know there's a universal need for human connection, but this is where far too many apps get it wrong because they think human connection means one-on-one -on -one interaction with a person. 
or talking to a real person or being in, in touch with humans, other humans, right? And human connection can be achieved by connecting directly with others, but that doesn't work for all of us. And an alternative is just knowing that you're part of a community, learning about others' experiences without really being digitally connected to them. Like human connection elements are far be they go far beyond just a one-on-one interaction. They should afford learning from stories, opportunities for competition, group activities, mentorship, commitment. The commitment is huge in forming um informing a new behavior, right? Absolutely. And a fabulous people can work together through live challenges and commitments. Uh, public commitments, which we call pledges to achieve common goals, be it physical fitness, meditation, decluttering, etc. And the pledging idea was based on evidence from the literature. We know that asking people to publicly commit to a future behavior has been shown to increase the likelihood of follow through in a variety of contexts from weight loss to voting and recycling. And indeed, what we found with pledging is that those who pledge publicly were 27% more likely to complete their morning routine. And what's more, just seeing other people's pledges can change behavior, even if we don't pledge ourselves. People who saw pledges but didn't pledge were 8% more likely to complete their routine. And why are pledges so effective? First, pledges are a commitment device, and pre-committing to our goals can help combat present bias, with which Roxana talked about previously. When Ulysses wanted to avoid the seductive siren's call, he had his sailors tie him to the mast of the ship. In so doing, he was employing a commitment device. And by committing to actions publicly, we now have the added pressure of meeting that commitment in front of other members of our community. And I think that kind of takes us into the next principle I want to talk about, which I think is one of the most powerful ones. Like, People don't exist in isolation. Apps don't exist in isolation. There are other people. There's an environment. So I refer to this as the person app environment loop. But here the idea is that is just acknowledging that things don't exist in isolation. And apps, um, you know, there's an app, but then there's this ever dynamic relationship with the person and the person's environment, which includes other people. And um, they're both constantly changing. So the problem is when apps remain static while the person's needs and their environment changes, um, then apps should be aware of these kinds of circumstances and how they can impact someone's behavior and empower us to adapt our environment to be conducive to a positive change. So we kind of have a running joke at Macadamia because I am terrible at drinking water. So what I do is, um, you know, I use the environment in my favor. So every time that someone has water, I copy them and, and have a sip of water too, every single time. So, you know, sometimes it gets to like six times in a row and people laugh at me, but I got into that habit and it's my visual cue whenever I'm on Zoom and someone has water. So thank you to all that have water in front of me. And this this part of the environment is huge. I, I love that that story and that and that idea, Roxana. So uh, at Fabulous, I mentioned previously that we want to 
help people become behavioral experts. And one of the lessons that we teach is that people can be the architects of their environment. We, we talk about friction and hassles in the app and, and how hassles can have an outsized impact on our behavior. So we should always find ways to make the right path the easy path. So we teach our users that get, they can be architects of their environment. We can be intentional and deliberate about how we structure the spaces in which we live and work so that we are more likely to complete the goals and promises that we have made for ourselves. If you want to drink water in the morning, you can leave a glass by your bedside table. If you want to exercise, you can leave your uh, workout clothes out the night before. Not only are you making it easier to complete the desired behavior, the cup of water, the exercise clothes, they serve as physical reminders and cues the moment that you wake. Alternatively, you can drink water whenever you see a colleague on Zoom drinking water. That sounds like a great strategy, Roxana. That's exactly it, right? Like one of our principles is reminders because reminders are clearly and repetition are clearly key to forming a new habit. But just like you said, they have to be more than an alarm because, well, I mean, I've snoozed off my phone many, many times, right? So we know pure alarms don't work. So like you were saying with the cup of water in your environment, water bottles everywhere, prepping your clothes, right? Um, these for a reminder to be truly effective, that's it. It has to extend beyond the app. And so clearly you guys have come to the conclusion and you've answered my question. It's very clear that yes, apps can help you develop, you know, new habits that you're you're seeking. You know, but in our current day and age, we, a lot of us are logged online. We're, we're on connected devices. We, there's a lot of screen time going on. I guess, is there an argument to be made that we should have off time as well? Is that necessary? I think you put the dot on the eye. Like that's where I think there's a need that we're advocating for app independence at some point, because this need is becoming increasingly important as our days are becoming more and more digital. Like the word of the year is like what Zoom fatigue with the transition to remote, um, like being home and with the COVID measures, like Zoom is no longer just work. It's everything. It's work. It's seminars. It's catching up with friends and family, um, Netflix, whatever it is, right? Like all those put together for both professional and personal reasons, we're in front of a screen more than ever before. So with that being like Zoom fatigue being a reality, I totally agree with you. Off time is crucial. But I think where the trick is, there's a distinction between like off time from the habit we're trying to form and then off time from devices and notifications and reminders in relation to that habit. So, for example, like um, a nature walk or a meditation session, it could start with a, an app reminder, but at the, the app reminder is seconds, whereas the whole activity, the whole point of it is to disconnect from technology. And then I like what Fabulous does here, like an alternative is um, having the reminder outside of the app. So there's these sticky notes with like a, a symbol that you make and you can put them anywhere around your house. And you have a fit, like a reminder in your environment without being app dependent. So you can increase the frequency of the reminders, but without increasing 
the times you're accessing the app. And far too many, because we mentioned dark patterns a little bit or addiction earlier, like far too many apps use reminders and notifications with the sole purpose of bringing people back into the app, just like a reason to check in. And that's definitely not the right approach. Um, We kind of think of apps pushing information to us because that's what they do most of the time. That's the norm. But there's an alternative. And the alternative is us having the control and the freedom to kind of pull information on a need basis. So an easy starting point there is to give people the freedom to change reminder frequency. Like it's so easy to do, but most apps fail to do that. Like if I've done something, I feel comfortable that I've done something for a month. I don't need it twice a day, every day. Maybe I only need it in the evening because my morning routine is perfect. Or maybe I want it every two or three days to make sure I'm still on track, right? Like it's so easy to do, but most don't do that. So I think to your point with the off time, like apps that truly have the person's best interest in mind should strive towards app independence. Right. And now, so Alex, let's go back to Fabulous. What types of habits does Fabulous address? Well, Fabulous addresses all habits from well-being and productivity habits that we recommend to bespoke habits that a user can create for themselves. But what's unique about Fabulous is our focus on tiny habits, which was originally coined by BJ Fogg out of Stanford. When it comes to building habits, one of the most important learnings is that we should make them achievable. Whether Whatever your initial goal is, you should cut it down. Say you want to do yoga for 20 minutes a day, cut that down to three minutes. And an interesting fact is that we get a dopamine hit by simply accomplishing a goal. So by starting extra small, you're that much more likely to get a dopamine hit and close the habit loop. And there may be other rewards you can consider. For example, you might have heard that you should eat a a square of dark chocolate after exercising, and that dark chocolate can be a reward. By simply completing a behavior, that can be a reward in and of itself. That's the secret sauce, not chocolate. Once you set that timer for three minutes, once you do that single push-up, it'll be that much easier to do the next one and the one after that. So you're setting yourself up for success by eliciting brain rewards. Life isn't about perfection. It's about progress. And a lot of people think that the way to change your life is through intensity. But at Fabulous, we, we really believe it's about consistency over intensity. And Roxanne, I'm curious about your thoughts about uh, habits from a CogSci perspective. Yeah, for sure. But actually, what you said, thinking about that consistency made me think of, like, people always ask me, you know, how come it takes up to 200 days to for, or more than 200 days to form a habit? And one of the reasons is because you need consistent repetition to achieve that habit. So if you want to do the full behavior, let's say running 10K every day, if you fail, oftentimes it kind of like shoves you back to the starting point. So then you have to start again. So then it can take, you know, it can take 200 days. But if you employ what you're saying, tiny habits, then if you can't do 10K and you do one, you're still maintaining a component of the habit 
So you're not you're not going back to the starting line. And I think that's huge. Um, but from a cockside perspective, I think what makes it tricky when we talk about habits is that people kind of call habits two things. One is if you do something on repeat, it's they call it a habit. But from a cogside perspective, a habit is an automatic behavior. So repetition does play a role, but it's not just the repetition. So we need to repeat the behavior for it to become automatic. But this transition, it's associated with a brain rewiring. Like there's an actual physical change in your brain. If you've done something enough times for a neural pathway to form and strengthen, that's what makes the behavior no longer difficult to achieve. So when we talked about driving, there's an actual change that takes us from having that list of 20 things when we get into the car to only worrying if we forgot our wallet. Like something has changed to take the difficulty out of it. You know, I want to go back to Fabulous again, Alex, and I want to ask you, can Fabulous actually help us learn to, to relax? Definitely. Uh, Fabulous creates a sanctuary for individuals through fabulous moments, through coaching, through one's daily routine, through journaling. And we truly value the importance of quiet introspection, solitude, and self-care. Rituals are a place where we can all come back to. They provide structure in the chaos of our lives. And Fabulous provides people with their own real estate they can visit at any time. No matter how busy their day, their life is, they can feel anchored within Fabulous. So at Fabulous, we employ imagery and sound and voice to create a truly immersive experience wherein people are completing their rituals. And that's exactly what we mean by the aesthetic experience, too. It's just like the theme and the tone of the app um, should provide people with a sense of place and give them this inviting and approachable experience. And it's colors, imagery, all of these, they should match the intent of the app, but also the person's um, personality, right? Because we see um, some apps being super duper interactive and they're for adults. There's one that has a cute little monster and I've seen really mixed reactions to that. Some people love it and find it super engaging, whereas others um, are like, well, I'm not in kindergarten. I graduated that like 40 years ago. So it's it's about using the right things, but also matching it to the person's personality, really. Roxana, for you now, I have this question about you know, under like trying to develop meaningful, long-lasting, sustained change, uh, what is the secret to developing that? I think the secret is precisely what we were talking about earlier. It's just like this need to engage in that new behavior long enough until our brain rewires and the behavior becomes automatic. So how we do that, that's where the magic happens. But really um, using insights that are rooted in behavior and cognitive science to guide and facilitate our journey, that's where great apps come into play. Right. And now, Alex, turning back to Fabulous, Fabulous, um, there, there's a feature there called Fabulous Coaching. Tell us how, how that works. Sure. So our coaching program was created by our chief storyteller and clinical psychologist Jasmine Quill, who founded the Psychology One program at Stanford. 
and she's busy adding more content every day. Whether you'd like to tackle anxiety, grief, procrastination, or artist block, she has a coaching pack for you. We want to make healthy habits a daily reality, but sometimes making impactful changes in your life can be a lonely process. And through coaching, you can immerse yourself in a message of support and encouragement from your coach. On any day, you may hear a story, an insightful idea, or an inspiring quote to help you access your inner reserve of strength and determination. The next horizon for fabulous in coaching is live coaching, where you can interact with a guide or a mentor in real time. Right, right. Okay, so Roxana, you know, pre-pandemic, there was lots of people um, engaged in behavior change activities, like going to the gym with friends. Um, what are your thoughts now on a coach embedded in an app? Just like with everything else, I think it can be a great idea if it's done right, right? So at its core, coaches appeal to that human connection or like humans' universal need for social connection. Um, they're also because of the kind of the status of a coach, right? They're, they're kind of a source of truth or education um, combined with companionship. This is both support and knowledge. Um, I think they, it can work miracles for people who are willing to have that relationship with the stranger, but there needs to be a side to it where it's um, that indirect access to coaching. That's not, um, you know, just the person, the stories and the education, they have to come a different way too. I think you need both to appeal to everyone. Right. Okay. So Alex, you know, I recently found out that Macadamian is also now has access to Fabulous, all her um, all the employees here at Macadamian can now use the app. How is Fabulous being used in the corporate setting? Yes, that's right. We're so excited to be working with Macadamian. Fabulous works with corporations on three levels, the individual, team, and the company level. On the individual level, we offer people a, person, a personal coach through the app to help them implement healthy routines into their lives and find that work-life balance. Our goal is to support our people in unleashing their full potential and bring their best into the workplace. As for teams, in the latest Slack Index report, we've learned that the biggest problem reported by hybrid teams is the lack of belonging and connection. Teams in the new normal are looking for a safe environment where they can produce meaningful work, and companies need to imagine team dynamics and Fabulous can support this by nourishing the collective spirit through live challenges and circles, which are the Fabulous forums. Finally, we have the company level. And uh, the first facet of the company level is global performance. We know that healthier teams lead to better organizational performance, but we want to promote sustainable, but we want to promote sustainable and healthy growth. Well-being shouldn't be a means to an end. It should also be an end itself, which leads me to another facet within the company level, which is the, the culture facet. We want our clients to attract and retain talent by being well-being pioneers because they respect balance and care about their employees. They're not just cogs in a wheel, they're, they're people. And you attract and retain talent through your values and your culture. Right. Okay. So Alex, what are some of the changes you're seeing among those who are using Fabulous? Overall, 96% of our users say Fabulous has changed their lives for the better. 
And in a recent case study with one of our Fabulous for Work clients, we found that people who use the app were 220% more likely to drink water in the morning compared to people who didn't use the app. They were 52% more likely to exercise. We saw a 25% increase in routine consistency, a 23% increase in connection to colleagues. And finally, people who use the app were 27% more likely to say that their company has a culture that focuses on health. And these numbers point to the real impact Fabulous has made in helping improve wellness outcomes. So the last question, now that's for you, Roxana. Our entire discussion is sort of based on the premise that humans can change. Um, there's research around neuroplasticity that illustrates, uh, you know, life experiences can change who we are. Are we as humans wired for change? That's a tough question. Um, so I'm going to take a, a way around to answer it, but really the brain is a magical organ. And I've been studying cognitive science for more years than I want to acknowledge out loud. And the more I learn, the more of a black box it becomes. Um, so we've seen cases where, you know, you can remove someone's half a brain, like an entire hemisphere, and with no cognitive deficiencies or very limited cognitive deficiencies because the other part of the brain takes over the job. And this is not just Gray's Anatomy. Like, we see it in um, young children with epilepsy. It's real. I guess the downside is that this kind of plasticity to this extent happens mostly in at a really early age but the brain does continue to amaze us when we look at adults too um like another myth for the longest time researchers have thought that once neurons are lost they're lost forever but relatively new research shows that new neurons can still form for example in the in the hippocampus you can have um, new neurons being formed, and that's the organ responsible for memory. The process is neurogenesis, so it's it's revolutionary, right? So I guess my take-home message is just don't underestimate the power of your brain. Yeah, and I think that's a great message to sort of end this conversation on. Alex, Roxana, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. This was beyond amazing. Thank you. Thank you.